0: Supply chains are facing more risk than ever before. Some companies seem to be asleep at the wheel. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. A new report by A.T. Carney and Rapid Ratings International contains some distressing news. Despite the growing number of incidents and supplier failures that can disrupt a supply chain today, the report suggests that risk management has actually declined as a priority. Companies are finding it tough to maintain the proper level of diligence, especially when it comes to keeping tabs on major suppliers. Yet those that can effectively identify, diagnose, and resolve supplier issues are in the best position to manage and minimize risk. Today I'm talking about this apparent paradox with study co-authors Rose Kelly Falls, Senior Vice President of Rapid Ratings, and Carrie Erickson, Vice President with A.T. Carney Procurement and Analytic Solutions. They'll explain why many companies aren't doing enough to manage risk in their supply chains and how they can begin to correct the oversight. And we'll learn how manufacturers can go about quantifying the health and stability of key suppliers. So here is my conversation with Rose Kelly Falls and Carrie Erickson. Rose Kelly Falls,
1: welcome to the program. Thank you, Bob. Great to be here.
0: And Carrie Erickson, welcome as well.
1: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.
0: Rose, let's start with you. I want you to tell me a little bit about uh, this study that both A.T. Kearney and Rapid Ratings have collaborated on, are procurement professionals and looking at risks in extended supply chains. How long has this study been going on, and how do you put it together?
2: So Carrie and I started collaborating on the study probably about six months ago and really trying to figure out what we wanted, what the message is, and what we wanted to elaborate on and really taking their recent studies that they've conducted as well as some information that Rapid Ratings has recently pulled together and specifically what we really wanted to focus on from a Rapid Ratings perspective is to show information or show companies the importance of the financial health aspect when it comes to risk management. And even more importantly so, what we've done is we've included private company information in this study. It's the first time we've ever done this. Um, We've broken it down kind of in three ways, uh, by country, by supply market, and also by industry.
0: Where do you get the private company information from?
2: So that is really what Rapid Ratings has fundamentally been focusing on over the last several years is gathering private company financial information on behalf of our clients. And really, we do that through a solicitation service. So it's nothing where we have a database of private company financials. We are actually reaching out to our client suppliers and requesting the information, all under full disclosure of what our intentions are. Actually, it's been very cooperative, and it's been very successful for us um, in building this information to be able to share kind of universally um, across these different markets.
0: Carrie, what has been your experience recently with AT Kearney clients in terms of their awareness of the importance of risk management and the grasp or lack of grasp that they have around this topic?
1: Actually, our clients are very savvy when it comes to risk management. It's something that's been on top of their radar screen for 20-plus years. So, we do benchmarking with procurement organizations globally. We've got an Assessment of Excellence in Procurement Benchmarking Survey we've been running since 1993 and survey over 600 global companies to identify leadership practices in procurement and i can tell you bob since the early 90s risk has always been top of mind for supply leaders as term in terms of an issue that they're trying to grapple with the challenge or the disconnect we see which is what got rose and i talking is there's oftentimes not very much done about it so uh, folks are very conscious of risk they they very much understand it's out there but they typically lack the bandwidth or capabilities um, to go after and solve that problem because it's very complex and it's not just uh, one facet of risk, but it's, it's all the different components from financial to supply chain shortage to brand impacts. So because it's so complicated And because it's such a huge investment to really go after, it's something that often gets left to the back burner and people are just taking the chance that it's not going to happen to them.
0: I find very interesting the title of your report, Is Your Luck Running Out? Managing Supply Risk in Uncertain Times. That is your luck running out. The implication there is that if you have not had a disaster in your supply chain up to this point, you're just lucky. Is that basically what we're saying here, Kerry?
1: Well, I do think so. I mean, admittedly, people are not doing nothing. So they do have systems where they try to track risk. They definitely assess suppliers before doing business with them. But if you just look at the latest product recall from Takata, who recalled, I think it is 70 million airbags, when is that type of an issue um, going to occur in your enterprise? And have we identified that, Those type of major supply recalls are a potential for us, and if they are, do we have a contingency plan in place? Have we done scenario analysis so we can react very quickly? I mean, I think the Takata issue is a a great example because they are a leading airbag supplier doing business with multiple OEMs. And so where's the next vendor that people go to? Who's ever positioned to have that backup plan fastest is likely going to have the most mitigated impact to their supply chain.
0: And if the Takata incident taught us anything, it taught us that good risk management isn't just a matter of bottom line. It's a matter sometimes of life and death. And so that—that's <laughs> got to put it top of mind, uh, you know. Rose, I'm wondering—is that your observation as well that the companies that you're hearing from truly mm-hmm. have this uh, this issue as Car- as Carrie says, top of mind?
2: Yeah, I I, I would agree with what Kerry is saying completely, and I think again that's really what the crux of this report is about—is trying to bring it back to the surface. And saying, you know, by chance, yes, you may have been lucky, but here's some information showing that you may not be so lucky going into the future. And one of the things that we tried to focus on in this paper also is talking about global impact, global supply markets, and really looking at it more broadly, again, and across many different industries.
0: On a global basis, of course, that complicates matters, but you have to look at it that way because supply chains are by their very nature global. How do you think that companies are doing in terms of approaching risk management from a multi-tier basis? Uh, Maybe, uh, Rose, why don't you take that just to start and tell me if you think that there's enough visibility and control up multiple tiers of suppliers today.
2: I think the short answer, Bob, is that no, they're not. And it just complicates things, as you can imagine, um, as you continue going down into the supply chain. Um, And I think companies are really struggling with how to get their arms around that. They're better at tier one suppliers because they have obviously direct uh, contracts with m- most of those tier one suppliers. But when it gets to tier two and tier three, a lot of times those are their supplier suppliers and those suppliers own that relationship. So they certainly don't have that kind of visibility, um, even tier two. And then as it gets further down the supply chain, um, it just gets more ugly.
0: Carrie, you see the same thing?
1: I do. For the most part, the primary strategy that people are deploying is holding their tier one supplier accountable for managing those tier twos and tier threes. Now, certainly if there's a tier two or three supplier that has a very specific piece of intellectual property or unique manufacturing process or location. Oftentimes, the end customer, if you will, has a visibility into who that supplier is because they are so critical to the supply chain. And there might be systems or programs in place to keep an eye on that one or two. But for the most part, it's a very small select number of suppliers that they track and manage or even know on a, uh, from a Tier 2 or 3 basis.
0: Okay, here's the part that I can't wrap my brain around. We've just been talking about how important this is, how it's top of mind, how it's life and death, and yet this report seems to indicate, as it says here, that supply chain risk management has declined in priority. Carrie, what's going on? Why?
1: Well, Bob, it's it's like an insurance policy, right? Each of the supply chain managers, procurement leaders has a set budget and set capacity and a number of programs. They've got a lot to manage and do these days, and they're being held accountable for year-over-year cost savings, innovation, joint process improvement, a whole host of initiatives and there's no glory in supply risk management right because if you've done your job really well and nothing happens no one knows about it so <laughs> yeah. it's tough to free it up in terms of both the budget and the and the the manpower to go after it because again you've got all these other metrics you're being held accountable for so i think it's it's one of just prioritization and challenge in terms of how to fund these type of initiatives I think the other part about it is, when is enough enough? There are so many different levels of risk management you can go at, and of course, with increasing level of complexity and cost, and where do we stop? So at some point, you can get a bit obsessed with this and keep going, and it does become a tricky ROI to justify. So finding the right level of investment, I think, is something that people are really trying to grapple with.
0: Rose, what are companies telling you in terms of why this might be the case that it's declined in priority? Is there any particular events that have happened? Is it an economic thing? Is it simply the lack of any particular disruptions recently that caused them to take their eye off the ball? Why do you think it's declined in priority?
2: Well, I think part of it is is that you know when you don't have something that happens and you've made an investment, obviously you're going to reduce that investment if you feel like you're okay. right? Again, like Kerry said, almost an insurance policy. So I think that's part of it. However, I do think that as the the economy has a lot of influence. So when the economy is good and things are going gangbusters, right, suppliers are doing well, um, organizations are doing well, they they have a tendency to refocus priority on something else. When the economy, for instance, the financial crisis in 2007, you know, everything became very much risk-focused because they did not know when a supplier was going to go belly up, so they had to keep their eye on the ball. And so, you know, it's interesting now because of volatility across different supply markets and different countries, how there are some businesses and some enterprises that are really focused on risk management, and then there are others that have just completely kind of said, we'll worry about that later. So it's a really interesting dynamic at this point.
0: Carrie, would you say that the practices of risk management in companies today or in clients of AT Kearney are essentially reactive or proactive?
1: Well, of course, it's a mix, right? So you've got your leaders in procurement and supply chain who have very proactive, robust programs in place. The leaders are doing pretty well. It's the vast swath of firms behind them that are trying to keep their head above water in all sorts of aspects that are struggling a bit more. That said, even those that we say are not necessarily leaders but are working to improve their supply chains About 52% of them do say they've got a supply continuity plan in place that's yielding benefits. So it's not all doom and gloom. It's just when we scratch the surface beneath that and say, okay, what are those very specific strategies you have in place? That's where we see opportunity to improve.
0: In terms of what kinds of disruptions we're seeing, Rose, give me a sense of what companies are telling you. What are the most common types of disruptions that companies have experienced recently and that maybe ought to be looking out for in the future?
2: Two come to mind, actually. I would say, obviously, financial disruptions. That seems to be always kind of a number one area of concern. But I also think that natural disasters. I mean, look what's recently happened with earthquakes and things like that. And unfortunately, in those particular situations, a lot of times – you you don't see them coming, right? So you can't necessarily plan for the event itself, per se. And that's where this resilience or continuity plan or strategy really becomes very important because it's a matter of how quickly can these suppliers get back up and running again? And a lot of times, again, there's different types of disasters and they all require different type, type of contingency plans. But I think I'm seeing those two, as well as volatility in the oil market right now. Again, who would have predicted that?
0: Carrie, even in the so-called age of the black swan, uh, do you think it's a human tendency and, and the tendency of companies to always kind of protect themselves against the thing—the last thing that happened? Uh, so you know, if there's a volcano, maybe we got to start watching out for volcanoes now and kind of being blind to the fact that the next thing coming down the pike is probably going to be something completely different. Do companies understand that?
1: Oh, I, I definitely think they do. I mean, but the challenge with If if you look at how our supply chains, the physical supply chains, but even those virtual supply chains for the industries that rely more on service workers and, and maybe some outsourcing more often, what we've seen is Supply chain competencies have started to cluster. So different regions in the world have developed expertise in different types of capabilities. So you've got a lot of electronics and folks in China that are really close to each other in terms of where all that manufacturing happens. You've got in India a lot of the outsource providers kind of near each other. And and then what happens in a natural disaster is those supply chains get co-located, if you will, is it impacts more of them, whether it's yours or the competitors to yours, they're sort of all in the same region. And I think that's why these natural disasters are having such a big impact because we've co located our supply chains so much. Even if it's not a natural disaster, if you think about The SARS epidemic we had, um, I don't know how long ago was that, seven years ago. As we look at where we're physically operating, we need to look at all these things, these potential issues to figure out, okay, maybe I need to spread my risk out a little bit more geographically.
0: One thing we have not talked about yet and yet is one of the most important aspects of potential supply chain disruptions is, of course, the financial health of suppliers. This, as I understand it, Rose, is a key metric within the report and within Rapid Rating's own criteria and methodology for assessing supply chain risk. Tell me a little bit about how financial health has come to the fore and how you incorporated it into your methodology.
2: Well, our methodology obviously is solely based on the financial health of companies. And what's interesting about the financial health aspect is what it's speaking to is basically overall financial profile of an organization. But really at the basic level, you know what it means is what the company's risk of bankruptcy or default is. And that's really what we've tried to talk about in the paper across different areas. I guess more importantly, you know, financial health really looks at a company's operational and structural efficiencies. And in other words, is the company using working capital effectively? Does the company have a manageable manageable level of debt? So those are the things we're looking at as we're analyzing companies, but ultimately what Comes out of that is an FHR or financial health rating, and that's on that scale from 0 to 100, which we've kind of talked about throughout the paper. So, what we've tried to illustrate is just a lot of different ways of looking at financial health, again, by market, by region, etc.
0: Well, here again, it raises the question that I asked you before where do you get the information? You want to know about a supplier's financial health, it's probably not enough just to ask that supplier. So, where are your sources there outside of the supplier itself to assess that you have an accurate FHR?
2: So when we're collecting, it is solely from the company itself. But what we're doing, which really helps um, validate the information, is we're collecting more than one year of information for that supplier. So we're getting detailed health trend analysis from that company and their financial statements. So it's basically taken from the balance sheet, the income statement, and the statement of cash flow. So it's a very, very in-depth analysis using over 70 ratios to analyze every single company, whether they be public or private. So broad and deep is the way we'd like to look at the analysis.
0: Let's talk solutions here. Carrie, I want to ask you a little bit about how AT Kearney advises its, its clients on three very important aspects of supply chain risk management. How do they identify? How do they diagnose? How do they resolve potential problems in their supply chains? What is? The, I, I know we could spend hours talking about that, but tell me a little bit about some high points there as to tips that companies should be taking into account
1: well first off identification is definitely data 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 so um all all the points that rose just mentioned in terms of financial health keeping track of that, having access to supplier contacts to be able to talk to them routinely, looking at on-time deliveries and the quality of what's coming in, kind of triangulating all those components of data as well as external reports on on what's going on with the supplier to get uh, an overall sense, scorecard, if you will, of if there's challenges on the horizon And admittedly, you would have done a really robust screening before you even started doing business with these suppliers. So hopefully they passed all those tests and now we're a bit more in maintenance mode. Diagnose, diagnosing there's a problem is really through setting up those filters in your data to highlight when the data elements go out of bounds, when the conversations start to go out of bounds on the normal, or when external events are coming in that you've already analyzed and saying, okay, if the price of oil does this, I know that's going to impact my supplier in this other way. So kind of diagnosing what those various scenarios are that you've played out. And again, that scenario analysis is not easy to do, but doing it ahead of time really gives you a leg up in terms of knowing when the data starts to look like there may be a problem coming down the pike. And then resolve, hopefully, these are suppliers that you have good, solid working relationships with. So you can go in and very quickly start to triage working with the supplier. Um, If that's not the case, your scenario analyses may have told you in the past that you need a backup supplier. And so having that backup supplier at the ready is an important part of the solution oftentimes as well. So there's no one quick answer, Bob. It's really just hard work, a lot of proactive planning, scenario analysis, and then ongoing maintenance in terms of data analytics and relationship building with your suppliers.
0: What about you, Rose, in terms of some best practices that you might have gleaned from your relationships with various companies reporting to you?
2: I think having a solid strategy. Looking at, as Kerry mentioned, you know, assessing, which we would call data gathering, um, and then really just using kind of some of the, the traditional methods of risk management, which just through mitigation, through follow up, um through ongoing monitoring processes. It's not a one-time assessment. It's something that has to be looked at. What I would consider throughout the entire relationship with the supplier, whether it start at the initial sourcing process, or perhaps it, it's picked up with the supplier you've had a long-term relationship with. But again, you have to identify, you have to analyze, obviously prioritize, collaborate with the supplier, that relationship management aspect of it, planning for a short-term and long-term mitigation strategies, implementing those strategies, and again, as I mentioned, monitoring. So I would consider it to be very, very cyclical.
0: Will you be doing this report on an annual basis
2: next year as well? That's a good question, Bob. I guess Carrie and I haven't even talked about that.
1: I haven't even <laughs> talked about it yet. It certainly seems idea. like something you
0: would want to monitor changing attitudes. And, and in, in hope, I guess, that the so-called declining in priority trend will it will turn itself around as companies once again wake up to the possibility or the necessity, indeed, of a, of a good risk management strategy. Are you both optimistic that that could happen?
1: Oh, absolutely. And we're actually rolling out our updated Assessment of Excellence in Procurement Benchmarking Survey, which includes risk management as one of the many things it looks at. That'll be coming out in 2017. So that's always ongoing from an AT Kearney perspective but I think the real unique aspect in the and the way we were able to supercharge that analysis as it relates to risk this time was partnering with Rose and the folks at Rapid Ratings to get the real company specific region specific private sector specific data to say okay from Kearney's benchmarking survey this is what people are telling us they're doing and Rose and Rapid Ratings able to say, and this is how it's flowing through to the financials and, and comparing. And, and I think that's really where we saw the the big gap and the opportunity for folks to dig in and do a little bit more.
0: Rose, you think are you indeed optimistic that companies will wake up to the to the, to the necessity of of good protection, especially in the area of keeping tabs on financial health of suppliers?
2: I do. I think they're getting more and more but I guess the word I want to use more and more in-depth um, analysis from or getting more information. So suppliers aren't holding their cards so close to their chest now, so there's disclosure, and companies are asking for disclosure, and I think that's allowing supply chain leaders to, and procurement leaders to really have more information. So I think that is, I'm very hopeful that things will turn around. I think just having the information available is a hurdle that we've overcome.
0: We can only hope. The report is called Is Your Luck Running Out? Managing Supply Risk in Uncertain Terms. Times, I'm sorry. Times. And it's done by A.T. Kearney and Rapid Ratings. We will link to the report in the show notes to this episode. But I want to thank you both. Carrie Erickson, Rose Kelly Falls, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, Bob.
0: That was my conversation with Rose Kelly Falls of Rapid Ratings and Kerry Erickson of A.T. Kearney talking about the struggle to manage supply chain risk. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at SCBrain. You can also download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.